Welcome to The Sages Among Us. What makes a community great? Most importantly, it's the people who live and work there and are engaged in community life. The Sages Among Us focuses on those people, what they do and why they do it, and celebrates the leadership, time, and energy they bring to making a positive difference for all of us. And indeed, welcome to The Sages Among Us. I am Keith Porter, and today my guest is Sarah Warner, MD. She's a pediatrician who grew up in Nevada County, brought her medical degree back home to practice here, and she's contributed to our community and to humanity in general, around the whole world, really, in a variety of important ways. So, Sarah, welcome to the hot seat on The Sages Among Us. Thank you very much. It's great to have you here. Uh, Let me share a little bit about your background with the audience before we talk about all that you've done in your life and your role in the community. You uh, moved to Nevada County, Nevada City, actually, at age five, um, so you didn't have a lot to say about that. I guess you came with the family, right? Came with my parents, actually, yes. Yeah, okay. Um, and uh, you uh, graduated from Nevada Union High School. You went to UC Davis, where you studied zoology, and then you stayed on at Davis for another four years of medical school, getting your uh, medical degree. And um, you then um, had your internship in, in the Davis area, right? Yes, in Sacramento. Oh, in Sacramento. And then you went off to Winnipeg in um Winnipeg, Winnipeg, what? what? Manitoba. Manitoba, uh, of course. Above North Dakota, in the Se- frozen north of Canada. Yeah, senior moment. I couldn't remember what province Winnipeg was in. Well, there you go. Anyway, then you did your residency there. Uh, you talked about, uh, you were thought about, actually, uh, staying on there uh, and taking a position at the University of Manitoba, but you came back to uh, Davis for some reason. We're going to find out about that. Came back to Nevada City. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Uh, and then uh, local practicing here, uh, and uh, you've been in the community and a humanitarian and have done all kinds of stuff, and we're going to talk about it all. So anyway, thanks for being here. So uh, you grew up here from age five. What what brought your family here? What was it about Nevada County that uh, brought your family? Well, my family's from uh, originally Kansas via San Diego. My grandparents moved to Georgetown uh, when I was just, I think, three or four, and my parents, I actually don't know what brought them here, but I think it was my grandparents. And uh, so they moved when my mom was pregnant with my with my brother and sister, twins. Actually, she thought she had one baby, and it turned out she had two. After they moved here, she found out she had twins. Oh, surprise. And, um, so, um, so we, I actually grew up uh, just right up the street from the station here. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit about your early life. Uh, what were your parents like, um, and did their perspective on life, their outlook, and the way they lived their lives, did that influence you and your career? I think so. My dad um, was a builder. He he didn't have his contractor's license, but he built a lot of things around here. Um, my mom actually worked for um, various doctors in the area after the twins went to uh, kindergarten. She worked for Dr. Paget, who was an old doctor that uh, I thought he was old at the time, but he got even older when she was working <laughs> for him. And then she worked for Dr. Smith and Steber. Um, they really were um, very instrumental in in teaching us to always care about other people. They also let us just kind of roam the area. I, I heard last week, I think it was Shannon Bueller, who talked about growing up here. And we just all thought that Nevada City belonged to us, that all Willow Valley belonged to us, that everything belonged to us, and we got to explore. And um, that was a wonderful way to grow up. No kidding. Yeah. 
I had, I had somewhat of a similar experience in childhood in a couple of different places, but times were so different, and there was so so less so much less concern about safety of kids, and you had to come home when the when it got dark. But right, that was kind yeah. of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, your brother still lives here and on property where you grew up. Uh, I'm curious about your um, your childhood. Now you you had younger twin siblings, right? I have a sister that's two years younger, and then my brother and sister um, uh, are six years younger than I am. So I'm the the sages among the siblings, actually. Okay. Yeah. Well, I I perceive you to be kind of a activist and kind of a uh, you know, you, you you got your own opinions about things. I'm guessing you might have got into a little trouble as a kid. Were you the yes. good kid? No. Well, I was the wise, uh, the smart one. Oh, the wise ass? <laughs> we can say that. <laughs> I did get into trouble, but we were all pretty good kids, but we did we did get into mischief, I would say. Any good stories about that? Uh, I did get uh, into a lot of trouble one time. Our friends from San Diego came. They, they lived in the city, and I convinced Karen Van Zyl that the little round things under the rabbit cage were candy. Oh, oh. And um, I remember getting banished to the—we the, had this little shed, and I had to go in there for a while after that because <laughs> she ate the candy. But, you know, it was that kind of thing. We, we weren't really, you know— You didn't uh, go out and start fires. We didn't draw like any that. blood or anything yeah. like that, usually. All right. That's good. Um, so, Nevada Union, what was memorable to you about going to school in Nevada County? I, I had great teachers. I really did. Mr. Sule, I had a wonderful science teacher who took me, you know, on on trips. Um, it, it was a, just a good environment. I was not um, a beauty queen in those days. I definitely was the total uh, geeky girl with the, with the wing glasses and... Um, <laughs> you know, crooked teeth. And so I didn't go to the proms and things, but I, but I was in the Spanish club and, um, I just always, um, felt like my teachers would have done anything for me. You didn't go to the proms? No, I didn't get asked. I went to one dance, which was the Sadie Hawkins dance where you could ask the boy. So I did ask somebody who was about half as tall as I was and it went okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Anything else memorable about uh, school years, high school years around town? Um, not as memorable as the college years. I think I was studying a lot, and, um, um, you know, I, I really enjoyed going. You know, obviously the minors were very important. The Spanish club sold chili beans, and uh, there was always something going on, and, and it was like a big family. There was Actually, I had a large graduating class. There were 300 of us okay. that graduated, so we had our 50th reunion a while back, and um, it seems like we were better friends uh, 50 years later than we actually were in high school, because really? so many of us really aren't alive anymore, and so we really yeah. appreciate the ones that are. Well, I'm curious about when did you make the decision to become a physician? Was that before you went off to college? Did you know when you went to Davis that that was where you were going, or was that something uh, that happened if, later? If my mother were alive, you she would tell you that I, I decided it practically from the womb, but I think it was actually... Uh, in high school, um, but I was never totally set on it. If I hadn't gotten into medical school, I was going to go into the Peace Corps. So um, I just wanted to do something to help people. And I could have gone a lot of different directions, but I was fortunate to get full scholarships. We really didn't have money um, growing up, but I was able to get uh, a regent scholar for undergraduate and medical school, and that's that made it possible. Well, good for you. So you did go off to Davis, got your BS in zoology, your MD in 1976. 
You know, conventional wisdom, uh, we hear a lot about the pressures and obstacles that you have to overcome uh, for medical school. It's really a grind and very, very wearing. Is that accurate? And what was it like for you? Uh, it it was wearing. We, we actually had the largest uh, class of women in the country at that time. We had 30% women, and that was unheard of. And um, we had a lot of support from the faculty. So there was always someone to go to if you were under pressure. It didn't feel... I think it's harder now. I think it's much harder now. I think there's more um, um, pressure on people. But, you know, we all did well and and uh we held together we had a hundred people in the class and i think that's kind of an ideal size uh for a group to be do you do you think that that the intense pressure is that good for creating good doctors or is it is it something that no uh, no but uh, i mean the, the hard part for me was when i became a mom and um after the doctor part balancing home and life and some of the women in my class actually had children and um you know were married during medical school i didn't get married till later but i think the the pressure it's just more complicated now. We know a lot more. We didn't, I mean, there were a lot of things in medicine that we didn't know and we didn't have computers. And so you, you were more hands-on. Um, now there's so much to know out there and you I think people always feel like they can't master it all. Really? Well, let's, let's hope we find answers to that yeah. because uh, obviously... Healthcare is such a critical thing in in our culture and for for us. For yeah, and us. A, a lot of healthcare really is about connecting with the patient, and I think yeah. that's happening. It makes it harder to connect with the patient. I know Jeff Kane, a local physician who writes uh, in the union quite regularly about that situation and and how medicine is uh, it, it, under the pressures isn't really serving the the patient or the physician yes. very well. Yes. Yes. Okay. So how about pediatrics? Did you know immediately that was what you were going to do in medicine? No, I did not. I thought I was going to be a family doctor until our third year at Davis, we got to travel. So I did um, electives in Philadelphia and Denver. I did cardiology. And then I was able to go to St. Jude Hospital in Memphis uh, because I had a very good professor, Charlie Abelgard who was a pediatric hematologist, a blood specialist. And so I went to St. Jude, and I was there for six weeks, and, and it really changed my whole perspective. I, I loved um, taking care of kids with cancer and blood diseases, and I was able to do a research project while I was there. And so I decided to go into pediatrics so that I could become a pediatric hematologist. That's okay. why I, so I could be a specialist. So you did your internship at at UC Davis, then you went uh, to Winnipeg, as we mentioned, for your residency on a fellowship for pediatric hematology oncology. Yes. So that answers the question, I guess, of why the specialty, because you fell in love with it. Uh, Yes. But why Winnipeg? Uh, Well, Winnipeg, at the time I was in a relationship and my partner was an emergency room. He ran the emergency room at UC Davis and there there weren't uh, critical care programs in California. And so we, uh, we went to Winnipeg so he could study that. Then we um, didn't stay together. And I remained there for another year and, um, and worked with some wonderful 
a pediatric hematologist who then offered me a position uh, on the faculty there. And so I got my Canadian boards, and I was going to move to Canada. That was the whole plan. But... But something brought you back. I to, had to. <laughs> I had to come back to UC Davis and do one more year, and I took a wine tasting class in Sacramento, where I lived at the time, and and I basically talked to the teacher afterwards, and he was moving to this little town called Nevada City uh-huh. to start the Nevada City Winery, and I said, "Oh, that uh, that's interesting. I've I've never heard of it. That's my town, and I've never heard of a winery." Well, he was starting it with a gentleman, Alan Haley. They sold wine together in um, Hawaii. Alan Haley grew up down the street from me, and his mom was my sister's second grade teacher. So there were all these <laughs> connections. Yes, and uh, I did go up for my interview to Winnipeg, to University of Manitoba. But on the second day, I told them I wasn't going to take the job, and I switched everything and came back here because it just seemed like that was the thing to do, there and I've you. never regretted it. All right. I'm Keith Porter, and my guest today is Sarah Warner, MD, a pediatrician who grew up in Nevada County, brought her medical degree back home to practice here, and she's contributed to our community and to humanity in a wide variety of important ways that we're going to talk about. So, now, Sarah, we now have you back in the neighborhood, married to winemaker Tony Norskog. Am I pronouncing those yes, name correctly? Yes, that's my married yeah. name. <laughs> okay. Uh, and you're on the clinical faculty of the pediatrics department at UC Davis at the time, uh, yeah. and st- started solo practice in, in Grass Valley, and then you were in other practices in town. Uh, what led you to the decision to open your own practice, and, and why did you come back? Well, I guess we know why you came back to Nevada County. Well, um, the plan was when I came back that I would teach at UC Davis after we got married, and um, but we were on our honeymoon. We went to South America for six weeks, and I was on the bus in the middle of the Atacama Desert because my husband was born in the Atacama Desert. Really? Yeah, and we were going on this bus ride to where he was born, which took forever because the Atacama Desert is very big and there's nothing to look at. Right. And and son, I just realized that, you know what, it's, it's going to be hard to go back and forth teaching. Uh, if I'm going to come home to Nevada City, I'm an, I want to live there and stay there. So I thought, well, I'll just forget about pediatric hematology and become a general pediatrician, which which seemed like that was not what I was, you know, my whole uh, plan was. But your plan often changes yeah. if you just listen to other voices. And um, so I opened my own little office. And I had a friend at the time who also went to Davis. She had opened her own little office in Sacramento. And so I went to her office and she showed me everything she did, like she had file drawers, how her chairs were, how her, and I just wow. copied it all and got a little office on, on uh, East Main Street and just copied everything that she did because in medical school in those days, you were not taught anything about how to run a business. Yeah. It, it was about medicine. Well, I wanted to ask about that. And, and you know, another conventional wisdom, I think, about doctors from the general public is that uh, a private practice, a solo practice, is a terribly difficult thing to do now in particular. Is that true? And did you find it true at that time? I, I think it's very, very difficult to do now. And it, it was difficult. Um, don't talk to my husband because because I did really not make any money for quite a long time. And... Um, but I was having a great time, and um, and it was great being my own boss. I had two people working for me. Uh, I had my son. Uh, I got pregnant just about the same week that I opened the office. Oh, my. And so he actually lived in the office for the first year of his <laughs> life. <laughs> 
and uh, he'd get into the charts sometime, but there was no HIPAA then. So <laughs> anyway, um, it, it was difficult, but right in these times, it's virtually insane yeah. to open your own practice on your own without some kind of other, you know, support. Okay. Well, since the 80s, uh, you've worked in a variety of group practices also now, including my docs, Foothill Pediat- Pediatrics, CR Care Physicians, and Western CR Medical Clinic, where you are still practicing. Uh, would you say our community is well served by these organizations? Yes, definitely. The Western Sierra, I think, fills a big niche. Western Sierra, Chapaday, um, uh, take patients that um, you know are underinsured or non-insured, right. and that's really where the passion is. I, I don't work in Western Sierra and Grass Valley anymore. I just go to Kings Beach Clinic. They have a campus there once okay. a once a month or so, but um, we have great people there. There are there's a huge need for family practice doctors. I'm sure everyone here knows that. Yes. And Chapaday and the hospital now have this residency program um, that's going to be starting to train a couple uh, physician uh, students that are coming. And I think that that program is going to hopefully really be helpful to our community. Both of uh, our adult kids and their spouses have moved back to the area in the last year and finding primary care physicians has been a, a real a real struggle. Yeah, it's yeah. difficult. All right. Um, our current health care system, or I guess I really should say the complex web of different and sometimes competing systems, seems full of a lot of inequities and a lot of excessive costs. Do you have a prescription in mind that could cure our medical situation? I, medical care situation? I am an advocate of single payer or at least simplification. I mean, in Canada, um, when I worked there, it, it was so much easier. And again, this is, you know, in the 1980s, a lot of things have changed. But some kind of system where everybody gets a certain baseline, and then if you can afford to pay more, have insurance, if you can get, you know, uh, a different, a, a more complex level of care for something. But everybody should have access to go to the emergency room and get stitches or get, you know, an arm set or something without having to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars. And uh, we, we are so far behind in this country. I travel a lot. And uh, can I just do a little? I was just yeah, in sure. D- Dominican Republic on a medical mission with Scott Kellerman and some other people. And a person I was with became ill. Uh, lots of people got a tummy bug and had to, we had to go to the emergency room. And she got IVs and she got medicine and she got all kinds of things. And then I, so I was saying, como, como vamos a pagar? How, how should we pay for this? And they said, oh, you don't pay anything. Yeah. You just get treated and it doesn't matter if you're from their country or not. There's a basic level. She didn't need anything fancy, but here that emergency room visit would have just cost a lot of money if a person is uninsured. We lived in England for three years in the 90s and were covered by the national health care system. As soon as you step off the plane, you are. And it's like, wait, you know, how, yes. does it, how did this happen? We both had medical care. And then uh, in a couple of cases, we'd go, as you say, um, pay a little more and go to a specialist. Yes. And I thought it was really curious there that the, when the specialists specialize, they, the, the, the males go from doctor back to mister. It's a it's a hierarchical thing. It's a it's hmm. a status thing to not be doctor anymore to be Mister. Oh really? Because you're a specialist. Oh, that's really strange. I had huh. trouble getting a Mister Nephrologist. I guess you'd say. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, 
that's a that's a bit of an aside. Yes. Um, so, Sarah, for yourself, you've not limited your work in our community and beyond to the medical practice. You've traveled to Mexico as an educator. You've served on and chaired the board of directors of the Sierra Nevada Memorial Hospital here. You've served on the board and traveled to Africa with the Kellerman Foundation, and obviously, as you mentioned, to the Dominican Republic. Uh, you co-founded Read Me a Story Foundation. You co-founded the Care Crisis Nursery, which is an important institution in our community. Uh, you've served on the vestry of Trinity Episcopal Church in Nevada City. You traveled to Nicaragua, the Dominican Republic, uh, with their medical mission from the church. And you founded and owned Dr. Sarah's Pies, yes. <laughs> benefiting <laughs> the Care Crisis Nursery. I can't believe it. Uh, is it because I'm so old? You know, it's if you live as long as I have, you can do more things. So part of that is... Is some of that's past? Yeah. Oh, okay. No, well, it's all still, but, or in the past, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the list wouldn't be so long if I were half my age, so. Well, I'm, I'm impressed. Give us an example of a couple of those that are really important and why they're important to the community. Okay, so um, the, first of all, Trinity Church, where I go, um, we do a homeless dinner along with Emmanuel Church, or a, a dinner for guests who um, anyone can come, but many of the people are unhoused. We do that every Tuesday night, and um, that um, is something that's really important to me. Uh, we have a great community there. Uh, the Care Crisis Nursery is a, a place, um, I think it was founded, we started in 1990 or something, the Seroptimus of Grass Valley. Um, to It's a home where people can bring their children if the family just gets overwhelmed, uh, if they just need a break, if it's a grandma raising a child, if it's a foster person. They also do court-appointed um, visits, safe exchanges where maybe the parents are sharing custody and they don't get along and they used to meet at McDonald's and they can meet at that place. It's a great house. It's all because the first five to six years of childhood are so vitally important. I mean, if, if you don't have that cocoon of support and stability, um, then it affects so many things in the future. And, and we're understanding that more and more, um, uh, in terms of early childhood trauma. So my whole my whole philosophy and goal is to give kids safe early childhoods. I'm Keith Porter. My guest today is Sarah Warner. She's a doctor, a physician. She grew up in Nevada County. She brought her medical degree back home to practice here, and she's contributed to our community and to humanity in a wide variety of important ways, and we're talking about some of them right now. Um, uh, earlier we talked about, I was going to use the word activist for you, and you said, well, no, you don't, activist isn't quite the right word, but advocate is the word that you, you felt really, uh, really fit um, yourself. Uh, yeah, I think that's because um, advocate means you're working with the people you're trying to help. Uh, you're working for them, but, but you can't just go into um, something as if you know what someone needs, you really have to just get it's I think it comes from being a pediatrician too. You have to sit on the floor with the kids. There's so many times I've examined a child on the floor because that's where they are. That's where they want to be. Yeah. And it's the same thing with any um, any person in need. First, you have to get at their level and understand 
what they need in order to help them. And I think that's more of an advocate. An activist um, sometimes just has activity, but is it really going to help? You're not into the protest sign side of things. Uh, well, I have been in the past. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I maybe tell a little you some both. stories about that, but I probably shouldn't. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm wondering if our listeners are motivated by your example of advocacy and activism, uh, you, what would you suggest people do to become more engaged in our community on, on, or in humanitarian cri- uh, causes, what what would you suggest people? Well, I think um, I think that it's good to know what your passion is, what is important to you, and and what gifts do you have, and how can you use those, not just internally but externally, and that's different for everyone. But um, it, it just we have through two one one and you know everything in this community and the union newspaper and. You know, any place that you look, there are so many volunteer opportunities. And if you have the ability to volunteer, even if it's an hour a week doing something, I think it's good to do that. To um, it, it helps others, but it, it also um, helps you. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people who are retired and golfing is great and all those things are great, but... Um, but there's more to life than that. There's more to connect with people about. So I think I'm a big proponent of volunteering, actually. Dr. Sarah prescribes volunteerism. Yes. I'm, okay. I mean, sometimes it's it's a little over the top and I have to rein myself in or my husband has to rein me in. But but we all, we all do some volunteering, but I think that that's um, helpful for people to do. Can I return to a couple of kind of personal questions again for a minute, uh, just to go back? What are the personal rewards for you from your work in the community that make it all worthwhile? You know, I uh, I had to think about that, and I I think that it's just um, I, I think it has to do with your your foundation. So my foundation came from my childhood here. I, I had a good childhood. I, I would say I had a great childhood. I have people that will sacrifice anything for me, my siblings, you know, my family, my good friends. And so um, I think my personal reward is that I'm able to um, give back to them. I, th- I think life is give and take. And whatever you do comes back, even even if it's the smallest thing for someone. Um things go full circle. And so my rewards are, it makes me happy to help someone uh, and, and it, it comes back around. So it's a hard thing to explain. I'm not sure. Well, yeah, but uh, there's obviously a motivation in there. There's a passion in there from you. So it's a, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. Lots of good for the community has come from that. That's for sure. So you and Tony are now the owner-operators of the Wheelhouse Event Center. It used to be the former five-mile house up Highway 20 outside of Nevada City. That must be a different kind of challenge. <laughs> that has been, yes. We, um, uh, yes, we bought that. I would say we. I, I uh, was informed after we bought it, but I knew that it could happen. <laughs> uh, Old Republic had it before we did. and, right. and uh, But it did allow our son, who was in the golf industry, and his wife to move back here. Uh-huh. He ran it as a restaurant right when COVID hit. We opened. And um, it actually was quite successful. We just didn't have people to work. 
um, we didn't have enough people to work. So eventually we closed it as a restaurant and now it's an event center. So we do weddings and things, which is really fun. Um, and we have a little place to stay upstairs. Uh, but it does take, uh, of course, uh, a lot more time than anybody would have predicted. Um, but it does bring people together. I mean, maybe someday in the future it will be a restaurant again, which is what it should be. It was a restaurant when I was a kid. My right. um, dad was friends with the Benuzis that owned it, and and um, and some of that family still lives behind it. And um, it, it's been a fixture in the community for such a long time that um, we're 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 happy to own it. We're happy to make it available to people, and. Um, uh, it's too bad that COVID hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it changed a lot, didn't it? Yes. Well, in our last couple of minutes here, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about our community more broadly. Um, this community seems to have a lot of great assets in terms of people who are accomplished professionals, activists, artists, advocates who choose to live here instead of someplace where they might make more money or be part of a larger scene or whatever. I think that group absolutely includes you. Why do you think this community attracts people like that? And, you know, what can we do to make sure it continues? Well, I think um, I, I think that, first of all, there's the natural beauty here, which is uh, it's you need a certain amount of peace to um, to gather your energy and um, and to be creative. And you can't do that if you're living... Well, some people can do it in the middle of the city, but I think just coming up here, there's a certain amount of um, natural beauty that, and if you love that sort of thing, you get energy from it, and then you get energy from one another. So there's so so many connections in this community, and so many um, mentors here that that um, uh, it's important to keep those connections alive and. I don't know. There's there's a lot of creative people. When I was growing up here, we had a lot of loggers and um, a lot of, um, you know, people who had lived here for a while. And then this kind of new art community started to come in. And at first they were not as popular. Um, but that's what's really um, made us flourish. Yes, indeed. Well, I'm Keith Porter, and my guest today has been Dr. Sarah Warner. She's a pediatrician. She grew up here. She brought her medical degree back, practiced here in pediatrics, still does to a limited degree, and does all kinds of stuff in the community that we've heard about today. So it's uh, it's wonderful, Sarah, to have you here. Thank you so much for what you do for the community and for sharing it with us today. And thank you for keeping this program going. I think it's wonderful. You bet. Absolutely.